be the voice of the consumer in the organization. That's what Deepika Warrior, CMO of Bajaj Auto, believes is the role of marketing in any organization. Welcome to the Leapdoor Club podcast, fireside chats with industry leaders across domains. Captivating stories, insightful anecdotes and invaluable lessons to ignite your passion for marketing as well as equip you with tools to thrive in any era. Stay tuned to hear more from Deepika as she shares her journey with candor through this episode. Uh, welcome everyone. I am Ashna, your host for today's session on Timeless Truths of Marketing with uh, Deepika Warrior. Um, I want to give you a quick introduction to Deepika who um, has joined us today. She is a consumer-centric and transformational marketer, brand builder, and commercial leader. Um, she currently works as at Bajaj Auto as the CMO. And previously, she worked at Diageo as well, um, where she was leading marketing and innovation across a portfolio of brands, including Johnny Walker, Bailey's, Black & White, Tankery, you name it. Um, she's also spent about 20 years in PepsiCo, um, where she was um, the CEO and MD of Narishko Beverages, a joint venture between PepsiCo India and Tata Global Beverages. Um, I can keep going because she's worked at like a Essentially, bunch. Essentially, I'm incredibly old and I've been working <laughs> before most people in the session were born. <laughs> yeah, so, so we have lots to learn from I'm you. I'm like Methuselah. I've been around forever. <laughs> yeah, but don't worry, that was my formal introduction. I will also give, we'll also play a quick little game so that we can get into the fun parts of it as well and not just list down all your numerous accolades. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, before so. Uh, we get started, a leap, a true leap dot club style, we'll do a rapid fire, uh, Deepika. So for, I mean, you just have to say the first thing that comes to your mind Oops. wherever I say your prompt. Yeah, don't worry, we'll make it fun. Uh, no pressure. Let me know when you're ready. Always ready. Okay. Vocations or work-free vacations? Vocations or work-free vacations? Vocations, like vacations where you work. Oh, clearly vocations, man. Not work. <laughs> okay. No way. Um, the one marketing resource that you keep going back to? The consumer. Okay. Um, beverages or automobiles? Both, actually. I love beverages. Worked mm -hmm. for the longest in beverages, but just been three months in auto and I just wish I joined here 10 years ago when I was younger. <laughs> okay. Um, what drives you? Your head or your heart? Heart. Always. Okay. Love it. Um, one marketing fundamental you consider the holy grail? Again, uh, be authentic and listen to the consumer. Never fails. Okay. Consumer, I'm, I'm sensing a pattern. A current book that you're reading? Ah, reading two actually. Um, one is The Covenant of Water. I don't know whether you've read about it. Uh, so it's an interesting uh, book, which is fiction, of course. And the other is this book by on on Tesla on called Power Play. Uh, it's about Tesla, not about Elon Musk, uh, by this guy called Tim Higgins. And since I'm into EVs here, it was very mm. interesting for me too, because I never was very interested in <laughs> Elon Musk or Tesla before this. But now that I'm in the space, it's fun to read the journey and how they all started. Nice. Something I think more, all of us can learn a little more about. And finally, um, your favorite marketing campaign in recent times? Across brands? Like not mine, yes. but across? Across brands. Uh, 
May I be honest with you? I mean, nothing really comes to mind, honestly. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while, actually, since something really uh, leaped out at me. I'm just the fact that it's not top of mind. And I think that's true for the consumer as well. Um, yeah. But I think some of the work that we did in Johnny Walker, maybe maybe it's because I'm so close to my own brands. Mm. Um, you know, because I don't watch much television anymore. And I think I'm now just so old, I'm above 50. So most <laughs> brands that I'm interested in don't target me. Mm. But uh, I would say Nike, Under Armour consistently come. But uh, actually more uh, content uh, than advertising. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, the whole piece around um, air, uh, you know, Nike's air. I thought that was a fabulous piece of content. I just loved it. So yeah. I think more content. Honestly, today, content is more for me top of mind than, than advertising. Great. Uh, that was it. That was our rapid fire round. Uh, told you it would be fun. Um, so yeah, I think uh, you're right. Not Nothing jumps out right now uh, in terms of marketing campaigns. The good news is we have a ton of marketers in the room today. So hopefully our conversation inspires some really um, memorable marketing campaigns. So check in with you a couple of months later and perhaps you'll have an answer. Um, members, uh, you know the drill. we will uh, open the floor up for questions. Um, I will pick them up from the chat box. So please keep sharing them in the chat box. Um, if you see a question that you'd love answered, please add a reaction or something like that. So we know many people want to hear more from this. Um, until then, I will um, kind of pick up some of, some of the questions that y'all submitted while registering. Okay, Deepika, are you ready to open this session up? Cool. I think before we start talking about, you know, what makes marketing great and um, some truths about marketing, let's zoom out and kind of discuss what marketing is. Because um, it often gets confused with um, branding, advertising, sometimes even sales, right? So if you were to kind of condense the ethos of marketing, what would you say it is? I think it's, uh, uh, you're right. I think a lot of people confuse marketing with just communication development. Mm. Um, you know, creating advertising. But marketing is really about, um, and in the good old days, it was really about, you know, I have a product and how do I just kind of pitch it to a consumer? But today, I mean, I mean, I would say that forever, marketing is all, all it's been about identifying a consumer need. Um, you know, it could be partially met, uh, not met, unmet consumer need. Um, and uh, developing a product or a proposition uh, which best suits that need. And then ensuring that you get that across to the consumer at the right for the right value, right at the right price. So I think it's the entire. If you ask me, that whole caboodle is marketing, not just just the communication part of it or the you know. So I, I really feel that marketing is all encompassing, um, you know. So would you say um, so to kind of sum that up, identifying a consumer need, um, addressing that through a product or a service, and then communicating that to the consumer. And, and even playing a role in pricing it and, uh, mm. you know, where can consumers access it? Um, so, you know, because marketing plays a role in it. And because your channel strategy is, again, something that, you know, sales has to partner marketing. Marketing has to partner with sales because you can have the best product and the best mm. advertising and the best, you know, consumer outreach. But if your channel strategy is wrong and you're not available or accessible where the consumer is looking for your product, I mean, there goes your great product. So you have to be involved in all aspects of meeting that need with the right value proposition. Um, I'm so glad that you said that because, you know, uh, something else, a really common question that kept, kind of kept coming up is, um, you know, just 
communicating your product in the lens and the narrative of a consumer's need um so for someone who is kind of joining a company or you know jumping in once the service or the product has been established how do you kind of marry these two things of consumer need and the narrative that addresses that yeah yeah it uh, uh it it works in different ways you know so for the longest i worked at multinationals where we had products which were developed you know we had products and brands we for example i mean i worked in pepsico for 20 years and we had brands i'm sorry i'm just going to take a little time to answer your question i'll i'll, I'll address oh. it but there are two ways one is you might uh, you know um, you may have a product or a brand that exists in another market so we had lays potato chips which is the world's largest snack brand salty snack mm-hmm. brand so sells in 200 countries were actually developed or doritos these were products that were developed in the united states or for the uk or for, or in mexico for example if it was doritos and our mandate was to bring it to india right and there then it was all about uh identifying a need so for example in that particular instance it was very interesting so we said that um earlier it was all about children and we would put a little toy in the bag and i don't know whether you were too young for it but maybe you know mm-hmm. the generation before you would get a toy in the bag a little smile in the bag and then you know that's how it was it was a kids product but then we very very quickly realized we shouldn't be advertising to children and we were cohorting to older consumers and we realized for them Indians love snacking right there's a long gap between let's say lunch to dinner and you know you 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 you've got to fill that gap and what they were eating at that point of time were indian snacks traditional snacks and those were palm food and if you're a young person and you're hanging out and you're on a date mm. or you're watching a movie or you're like you know you can't you know you might eat namkeen but it's messy and it's not elegant right so we said oh mm. there's an interesting space that's a consumer need that they want something which is fun convenient elegant to eat doesn't mess up my hands i can eat out of and here's a product or a brand that was developed and how do we bring it together and make this locally relevant I and mean, that's one model the mm. other model is you start i mean it could be it happens for many startups of a new products where you start with a consumer need and then you come up with a proposition which meets a need right so for example i mean and the work company that i'm working in right now we're working on electric vehicles right mm. and there the whole thing is here's a consumer who's actually i mean there are of course some consumers who are looking for sustainability they're becoming more mm. and more conscious about emissions and fuel but at the same time they're very economy conscious so how do you come up with the right product at the right price point that meets their mobility needs gets them from point a to point b uh, but uh, but it also does it in a sustainable kind of way but also meets their emotional needs a pride of ownership pride of owning a sustainable scooter or a great brand right so i think mm. it can work both ways one is you can have an existing product or a, or and you know then and then um, um, adapt it or market it or make it relevant to an existing consumer need or you could develop a new product uh, to meet a kind of unmet uh, consumer need um you know or you could do what apple did which is take an existing product and an existing need and then come up with such an elegant timeless human solution to it and create a new category you know they, they didn't do anything new steve jobs didn't create anything new he just took an existing need and you know gave consumers thousand songs in their pocket and they were you know so it was really about that was really about framing it and designing it with elegance so mm. i don't know the answer to your question but you know there are different models in terms of how do you meet consumer needs and i guess when you join a company the most important thing is to spend some time thinking about who are we targeting what is our source of business hmm. um what is it why why, why do we exist <laughs> you know what are we there what's our purpose as an organization hmm. and then you know what is our value proposition is it relevant um, and then and then you know spending time making that marriage happen yeah no you absolutely uh, answered my question in fact uh, i wanted to just double click on um the consumer needs right like it it seems to be the uh, 
kind of a driver the anchor in all of this these decisions and um, yeah just like all decisions around a marketing kind of campaign or just uh, the function so i'm wondering what are your primary ways to um, access or understand those consumer needs um for you dipika personally what do you kind of rely on and yeah you know i wish i wish consumer needs were or consumer customer centricity was at the heart of every organization i wouldn't i wouldn't say that's always so mm-hmm. a lot of companies start could be profit focused and they have legacy business models a lot of companies come from uh, you know the fact that they have an existing business model and mm-hmm. they you know so they don't necessarily put the the customer need or the consumer need at the heart of it and then guess mm-hmm. what they kind of go out of fashion right if you look at uh you know blockbuster and dvds or whatever it is we have a model i'll we'll, i'll source great content put it into that format and ship it out but you know guess what the consumer was evolving so i think a lot of people and that's a role of marketing actually to put to bring as what we say you know bring that consumer into the boardroom and play mm-hmm. that role of being the conscience keeper of, of for the organization of bring being the voice of the consumer you can't take it for granted uh mm-hmm. so that's one i think you know that's that's a primary role if you ask me for marketing and within that of course there is a consumer insights function which is a part of marketing when some organizations are stand alone so how do you go about identifying consumer needs uh you know of course there were there are time honored ways of doing it where you know you do research you you do different types of research it could be quant research qualitative research but increasingly i think what's happening is there are that that model is evolving so mm. two or three ways one is i think um you know the world is changing so rapidly i would say <laughs> the you know the decision making cycles product life cycles are shortening to such an extent that good old ways you know when i was when i was a brand manager like say 25 30 years ago we used to do these brand tracks and then we used to do this big annual usage and attitude study where we went to thousands of consumers across the country reality is if you do that today by the time that report comes that you do that yeah. study you know the market has already moved the customers moved the industries moved so now i think the way to collect insights is becoming a lot more agile you're mm. becoming more and more digital in the way you you get your insights the mm. second thing is i think you're becoming a lot more there's a lot more time spent in power of observation so it's really interesting to do for example in home visits uh, or immersions or you know spend, for example an auto spend time in dealer showrooms and understand you know with that sense so i think observation third is do ethnographies where you know you're not only looking at consumers but you're also looking at documentaries you're also spending time with them as human beings not only mm-hmm. as consumers of your products because your products have to fit into their lifestyles as human beings right um and then of course you know then they in whom you test where you give your product to them see how you they react to it so i think i think it's evolving and becoming a lot more agile dynamic human centric um observation versus you know very quantitative studies more digital yeah. and flexible uh, and the, and the last one is i think increasingly the focus is on testing and learning you know you mm-hmm. do all of we again when we were growing up as brand managers you did these bases tests and again you predicted success of a product and ultimately you put it out there and the results whatever your quantitative test did you know the results is something else and even more so today so i think more and more companies are doing you know for example in the age we used to call it depot test where you pick one or two select or pilots or test markets and you do little proof of concepts and then you you know you get quick real time learnings from it and scale it up so again those are various ways i would say of just identifying consumer needs your the fit of your product and meeting those needs and so on and so forth then getting early reads before you scale up it's so um, heartwarming to hear that the you know methods of the social sciences are making its way to the world of business and i think that kind of uh, uh, indicates that a most consumer centric approach um, so i'm really happy to hear that that's kind of going and i think um, 
you know, also just how agile uh, we've become and the need to adapt to agility allows for like testing and iteration. And um, so it's great. It's great to hear that. Um, Bakshan actually had a question um, and typically we take like questions from the chat yeah. box later, but I think it's very relevant to, you know, the work that you are doing with EVs um, for a significant, uh, you know, percent of the audience as well. Bakshan, do you want to unmute and ask a question about uh, consumer needs? Uh, for sure. Uh, so my question is, what about a consumer need that the consumers don't realize that they have right now? So you're almost creating a new need in the market. How do you cater to that? Yeah, it's a great question, Bakshan. I think in some categories, sorry, where do you work and what do you do if you don't mind introducing yourself? Or is that so something I, you want to share? No, no, I can go ahead and share that. So I I am actually the project leader of a new product. It's called Tankhape. And it's a product uh, where when you pay salaries to unorganized workers through mm -hmm. our app, you are basically including them in social security. So you're giving them PF and ESI, wow. which they did not get till date. So, wow. so my question is very like relevant to my product since I'm wow. heavily involved in marketing it. This is a question I've constantly had that how do I make customers realize or the businesses that I'm approaching that this is a need that you actually have. And if you don't cater to it in long term, you won't have many workers working for you. Lovely. You know, I, uh, and again, I think I don't have, I mean, you are really working on a frontier uh, category and, and and segment, right? So my, my experience will be a lot more brick and mortar. And, but I can tell you in every segment, what always works is to look out for those uh, early adopters. And when I mean early adopters, early adopters could be consumers. So they could be, or, you know, you know, from technology point of view, they'll always be those guys who will be the first uh, sorry, so first is to say that uh, they'll always, you know, the idea will come because there is a crying need for it. Yeah, they'll, you're, you're, there, there will be, there will be a gap that you would have identified or your founder would have identified to say that, yeah, hey, you know, there is a gap. I mean, uh, it, it's a real human need, right? And you would have developed a product uh, for it. And uh, once you've done that, and, and maybe it's maybe it's something that is an old inefficient way of doing things that you're trying to make a lot more efficient, given how right. let's say technology has evolved. So I think I think you know the, I'm, I'm, you're you're the innovators, the creators. So I you know I don't want to spend time on how you created the product, but clearly this is a human need, right? In terms of just ensuring that you're getting your um, um, benefits on time. But right. um, but but once you've done that, I think what always helps in any uh, it could be consumers, it could be customers in B two B where you look at early adopters, uh, you know, so, and then you look at maybe one company and you make it worth their while to partner you with it and really make it a, make a success of it with a couple of partners or it could be a group of consumers, get your learnings from there, make it worth their while to be part of this experiment with you and then together propagate this to, uh, you know, I would say, uh, and then use those learnings to propagate it to uh, the laggards and the followers, right? That always works. And I, if I think about, uh, you know, again, I would think about, uh, um, uh, like, let's say, uh, let's say, uh, you know, the, the categories that I know, but uh, it's always the, you know, the, the, the early adopters will always be the ones uh, who are, uh, for whom, it, it, interesting, you know, I, I would say for electric two-wheelers, for example, I would say the early adopters were the were the B2C guys, so the B2B guys, you know, your delivery boys who were looking for a great, uh, great, uh, uh, you know, um, economy in terms of fuel efficiency and savings. Um, and, you know, we're able to quickly demonstrate the fact that charging is possible, uh, you know, with their, and then, you know, you just saw the vehicles on the road and before a point, you know, people started saying, okay, and then of course, better style vehicles came in and, 
and of course governments noticed and you know then of course policy changes came in and so on and so forth but i'm sure the equivalent so basically i mean long answer and again i'm you know i'm, I'm not i'm not that experienced in working on the frontiers of um, um, new product development but i would say that you know finding early early adopters and and then getting them to evangelize it and using them as a case study uh, would be in my view the the best way to approach something like that but but happy to you know talk more with you and learn from you actually on this thank you so much really appreciate it thanks bakshan yeah. <laughs> um i think uh, i would like to you know at this point go back to something that we were talking about in terms of how do we understand consumer needs and um, you know you said you operate from the heart and um, i would love to get a better sense of how much of marketing um, in general and for you as well um, is data oriented um whether that is qualitative or quantitative data um and how much is just like intuition or just a leap of faith um and in your experience do you think marketing teams have evolved to embrace both both versions yeah okay so so i operate from my heart as a leader and a corporate okay. employee as a marketer i you know you don't have a choice you have yeah. to uh, look at data but i think i think a couple of things that i want to say and again this is a timeless truth um you can look at a lot of data but it's important to glean insights from data right i've mm. seen brand teams who'll just come and share reams and reams of presentations with tables and tables and tables in it with no so what's no insights coming out of it so i think that's an art to take mm. to read data and to convert it into big insights and so what's so i think that's that's most important converting data into insights uh, the second thing is i think the art of storytelling is very important you know so again even if it's the most boring data uh, there's always an opportunity to 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 make a story out of it and make it interesting for whoever it is uh, that you're sharing the data with it right there's there is mm. a there is a there is a technique to it and to your point in the marketing teams i think yeah today you don't have a choice except to look at a uh, uh, data right because you're obviously there are two things marketing teams are operating in two ways on the one hand they have to manage the long term and the short term equity of their brands but at the same time there's also a lot of performance marketing right for example in my industry it's my mm. job to generate leads which i can then share with my uh, dealer teams right and that will look that will re require mm. a lot of top funnel work of course but also middle funnel bottom funnel work and then you know we we'll, we'll actually have to look at identifying the numbers if we're gunning after we'll have to look at uh you know search query search volumes we'll have to look at then you know targeting uh, people bases what they're looking for what they're searching for and so on and so forth so i think i think there is a need for a lot of data and analytics but the important thing is to not to get lost in it to of course keep looking at it to keep scorecarding it mm. uh, but but i i think it's a fine balance uh, that you need to manage but uh, it is an important balance and the good good or bad thing is there is enough data to be had you know yeah and therefore there's enough analytics to be had as i keep saying uh, you know the important thing is to either look at the what and ask why why did this happen <laughs> because nobody asks the why is versus the sharing a lot of what's uh and the second thing is to just identify the big threads coming out of it and i think that's an art um and uh, you know if you crack that then you're a really good marketer for today or timelessly yeah that's that's an interesting insight because i almost like you said right like today we live in a world with almost too much data um and to be able to extract like actual value and insight um in itself is an art and i think that is true across different roles right like whether you're a, a marketer or like a community builder like you know we often there's something that we keep asking each other and at leap is is this delta because uh, data can sometimes distract us as well so just yeah. you know identifying the right piece um yeah. yeah so then i think um as an extension of the data a question is um 
you know you have identified the uh, consumer need you have developed a product you have or a service you have communicated that to a consumer now how do you kind of um measure the success of that communication you know of a campaign um right. what um, kpis do you prioritize for when you are launching perhaps a new product so yeah i would love to hear more on that yeah so uh, i think uh, uh, there are two two parts to the question one is i think campaigns and you know communication on existing brands let's say brand building activities it could be communication activation mm-hmm. name it on existing brand the other one is innovation right i think you're looking at two ah, yes, kind yes. of activities yeah Mm-hmm. so for campaigns again as i mentioned uh, you know there would be um um both short term and long term impacts whether it's campaigns mm-hmm. activations etc and in the short term you'd clearly uh, you know and again we're living in a world where you know you can actually um um uh, sorry i'm just turning on the ac though it's cool in pune but the white switch of the ac in the office sorry, sorry give me yeah so uh, um it's so one is i think i think you know one is to say um um is your message coming across you know so i think even mm. in the development phase uh, there would be testing right you'd have pre testing which is both mm. qualitative and quantitative you'll do your ab testing where you'll prove whether you know which m- modifications in your messaging you know which which gives you better brand lift etc and then uh, of course you would look at short term impact in terms of short term impact on sales and you can you know there are sometimes when and and there'll be uh, uh, you'll obviously have your brand scorecard where you'll look at metrics like spontaneous mm-hmm. awareness because you know that which is of course of course a combination of both the message as well as the medium right the right weights behind mm-hmm. the message are also important to drive short term uh, awareness and you'd also look at stuff like consideration right so if i'm for example in the motorcycle business and then am i is my brand amongst the top 3 brands of motorcycle that the consumer is considering it used to be number 4 now it's jumped up to number 3 that means my campaigns working and so that's that mm-hmm. those are some of the short term metrics right and ultimately they would with a lag result in increase in sales uh, you know which mm-hmm. is, this will be the ultimate it, it could be bookings or retails or sales you know which will be the ultimate alt offtakes in consumer products which will be the ultimate measure right which would come maybe in 2 3 months from now but also equally importantly is also important to keep measuring long term metrics so i think marketing should never forget particularly in this increasingly digital world we get too caught up in performance marketing so sorry share of brand search queries for example is another thing that we look at right i mean if you if you that's something that's always a measure of whether your campaigns are working but all of that is great and it's very sexy and again the data is there but the important is also to measure the longer term impact on equity right and the way mm-hmm. to do that is you know to have a battery of relevant imagery attributes for yourself versus your competitors and uh, you know and, and your brand will stand for something you know it will either want to be aspirational little bill be some um, let's give an example mm-hmm. i mean you know um, um let's say and again I'm, i'm i think my current portfolio is very top mind for me or uh, or let's say pepsi when i used to work in pepsi i mean is it youthful is it great tasting uh, mm-hmm. is it you know so is is it is it is it how is it is it aspirational is it for me is it relevant and how would you how would you rank on some of these versus competition you know and and you mm. need to steadily me- me- and then you need to look at i think i think kanta uses a very simple framework which is an index of what they call meaning differentiation and salience and it's there's there's in there's weightage given to each of these attributes and uh, it's very important that you know while your brand is salient which can just come by putting in a lot of salience means also uh, you know uh, the right kind of salience quality of salience is also important but also to ensure mm. it is your brand growing in meaning or relevance to the consumer and is it differentiated so i think those are metrics that don't happen in the short term if it's consistent messaging over 6 months 12 months you need to measure those as well and then consistently build on that you know because i think somewhere we shouldn't forget that the brand is one of the most important intangible assets uh, for a company 
unfortunately still doesn't show up on the balance sheet, but it is. And therefore brand building, let's never ever confuse the importance of marketing in terms of delivering short-term leads or short-term inquiries or short-term sales with a really difficult business of difficult. And, you know, that's, that's more, more of an art and a skill as much as it is a science of building brand equity or build, building powerful brands, which can stand withstand time, you know? So I think both are important. Um, mm. When it comes to innovation, I think, again, just coming to, uh, I guess, to, you know, uh, what, what for me has always worked is, you know, every innovation has a concept and then it's got mm. an actual product, right? So, mm. um, and it's very important to measure both the concept and the product. And, you know, it's, in the pre-testing phase, it's always important that the product over delivers versus the concept, you know? Mm -hmm. So for example, if that doesn't happen, like in, Lay in Lay's, when I was in PepsiCo, I developed this really beautiful, we developed this really beautiful range of chips. And again, you guys must have been babies when that happened, mm -hmm. but it was called Chart Street, right? And the concept was, wow, it was so evocative. Consumers are saying, wow, pani mein. product bombed after 12 months because consumers are expecting chart coming out of the bags, right? So they were so... So, I mean, I failed as a marketer. So I developed a great concept, but then the product didn't live up to it. So ideally, you know, you shouldn't overpromise at the concept stage and your product should always be a, mm -hmm. a delight versus what you're promising from a proposition or a concept point of view. Uh, that's one part of it, of course. And then post that, as I mentioned, uh, you know, there are ways of estimating volume potential, but the real test is in doing test markets, trying out, and then increasingly in today's digital world, iterating, improving, not giving up, you know, and I think innovation mm -hmm. requires tenacity. And you need to stay invested because, you know, particularly if you're coming up with a relatively new to market product and stay invested, but start looking at the early reads of success, uh, which could be adoption, uh, you know, a share, it could be, you know, share of a particular category that you're trying to source business from, um, uh, you know, so I think, I think, again, um, uh, those are some of the metrics that you'd start to read to figure whether this innovation has true long-term potential. But, and then stay the course. But then I also keep keep an eye on it because in six months, 12 months, if it's not meeting its objectives, then don't fall in love with it as well, right? I mean, also yeah. take a yeah. call in case that, that doesn't work in terms of maybe, maybe there's a major change required and maybe you need to actually kind of cull it. Yeah. I mean, uh, fun fact, Leap actually was born as in, you know, we launched in Feb 2020 as an offline community. Uh, and we started off in Delhi and come March 2020, when the whole world, or at least the country was in lockdown we had to quickly adapt to um you know an online first kind of uh, company and that took kind of going back to the drawing board and like you know just like revisiting the promises that we were making to our uh, early adopters um but yeah i think um that uh being open to adapt i think that kind of really sticks out you mentioned something about um you know keeping an eye out on the long-term results as well as you know like um, optimizing for short-term results. Uh, Pallavi had a very interesting question in terms of not so much as the concept, but like how do you kind of enforce this uh, with senior management? Pallavi, do you want to unmute and ask this question yourself? Okay, I'll just ask it on Pallavi's behalf. So she said, uh, brand building is a long and constant burn. Any tips on how to establish brands when senior management believes in short-term results? <laughs> Pallavi, <laughs> it doesn't matter that I've got 31 years of experience. Nothing changes, man. Everyone, particularly <laughs> in this VUCA world, is extremely short-term in their thinking. So that's true. And I think that's true. You know, earlier we used to follow, uh, again, growing up and, and as a marketing manager, etc. we used to do a three-year plan, you know, three-year strap plan strategy plan then we would do in one year annual operating plan and then we'd have ongoing business plans but today 
even big companies, whether they're multinationals, Indian companies have actually shortened their planning cycles because people are so traumatized by COVID and then the whole, in, you know, the inflationary, the Ukraine war, and now there's the latest. So there's so many macro shocks that people are just shortening and shortening their planning horizon. So you're right. I mean, and, you know, brands don't get billed by the quarter. They bill, get billed by the year. Yeah, mm. absolutely. It's 30, 60, 90 day plans, plans now. Totally. So, and brands, you know, don't get billed by the quarter. You need to build them consistently uh, over months and years. So it's a great question. And I think it's a challenging question. And it's a role that we need to play, right? Uh, so I think, I think there is a need for, uh, I would say, so one is to say that, you know, um, um, honestly, uh, uh, this this is a vision that we as marketers need to sell to um, um, uh, senior management, whether it's a CEO of the company, if you're a CMO, or it could be the, you know, commercial head who's a combination of sales and marketing. And, it, and believe me, while people are short term in terms of business results, I think people also realizing, people do realize the power of brands. They do know that brands are what make the difference, right? Because what's also happening is, again, with this evolution of technology, product differentiation beyond a point, you know, is not easy to sustain. So people do realize that there is there is, there is is a role for brands. It's just that they don't, uh, the short-term pressures or the, you know, the pressures of delivering to the, the quarter, to the street or whatever it is, you know, the, for investors just overwhelms them. So it's important to just chip away and be that person. Like I said, you know, that's a role of marketing. One is to be the conscience voice of the consumer and the other is to be the to be the protector or the guardian of the brand and just to ensure that you know ensure that um, there is a certain percentage of spends that's being kept for long-term brand building you know that could be I mean measured as you know how many weeks on air are you on uh, uh, throughout the year you know how are you just as I said you know or in terms of consistency of messaging or it could be some investing in some proprietary IP cultural platforms, you know, which are then, which then you invest in every year or associations. So I think there is no short, there's no easy answer. And some of these are the, the challenges. They're not even easy to measure, right? I mean, you can't really dimensionalize it, but I think you just need to, um, um, uh, they get it. It's not that they don't get it. They just need someone to keep reminding them in every investment meeting to say, you know what? Yeah, I agree. Um, this is what we need to do for the short term, but I do need to do this for the long term. And you know, every every so you know, that managing that balance, and while while demonstrating the fact that you know, I think the 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 risk is sometimes marketers come across as being a little uh, what's the word for it? Distance from business realities, right? Um, mm. I want my NPR. I mean, uh, protecting my brand, my NP, not worrying about the business. So I think that's what irks people, mm. you know. So I think it's very important to be sensitive to the business needs as well and to demonstrate the fact that you're you're absolutely paranoid about productivity. You know, we used to use a phrase called making every penny a prisoner, that you're very, very conscious they're not wasting any money on, uh, you know, what we call you're very frugal when it comes to your production budgets or, you know, your non-working costs, advertising and promotion costs, as we say. So you're being very frugal there, but at the same time, you're doing the right things by your brand, you know. So I think important to to also be part of that short-term growth process because you know you and, and to say that marketing's role is also to de, to pay, play a key partnership role with commercial sales and so supply chain and delivering short-term sales and you know that's my role I'll play that role very well but at the same time I'm also the custodian of the brand and the voice of the consumer so these are the couple of things that we can do together to build our build our brand so I think you know demonstrating that balance because ultimately you know you're the general manager of your brand so mm. you need to come across as that. You're very, very conscious about your PNL. Very, very conscious about your sales, short-term deliverables as well. While, of course, continuing to ensure that you know you're building your brands, brands voice, its tonality, its equity, long-term. 
So no easy answer. It's different for each category, but you just have to, you know, that's that's the that's the that's the burden or the delightful burden that we all carry. And I think the good thing is that there is people can find solace solace in the fact that even you uh, oh, yeah. find this to be totally. like a challenge. So I think just embracing that, and um, I like the call to action is just be the custodian of your brand. Um, yeah. It's a good one, I think, um, that we'll remind all marketers, marketeers. Um, okay. And you know, there are clever surrogate pays that you need to do it. Sometimes you need to do a little bit of internal marketing. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. <laughs> in, uh, you know, where you're sending out, it could be, you know, sep -seps, legacy moments for brands because ultimately, I mean, employees and employer, employees are also <laughs> subscribers to your brand, right? They're your biggest advocates. So how do you do that? You know, how do you find ways of also, uh, you know, um, uh, I know people who've, for example, in conferences, you know, your annual sales conferences used mm -hmm. the families of the sales head or the CEO to actually tell the brand story, right? And there's nothing like <laughs> bringing it home. So sometimes you need to be a little sneaky as well, <laughs> just to ensure that your brand is getting the funding and that has to come from some other line, you know, so you have to play the slightly sneaky underhand game as well <laughs> it's yeah. ultimately for the good of the company no absolutely and i think in it's so relevant in today's day and age now because uh, earlier it was just like you're marketing a product or maximum your brand but now you have to ensure you're marketing yourself as well and especially within your own team so uh, you know like now that we're touching upon that topic i'm curious uh about your thoughts on this and you know like do you actively do it and how do you what do you recommend to uh budding marketeers here uh i've never actively done it mm. uh but i i think what i've done is and again you know i like i sound like one of those <laughs> 30 years of experience but i think over a period of time you know when you spent but very early on i think i realized my own voice you know i realized what mm. my style was like what my voice was and i think the only thing that i did was i was very authentic and consistent to mm. what i believed in while ensuring that i was not becoming too stuck in my ways right because it's a fine balance that you need to manage of being authentic and being true to yourself yet at the same time you know that good old thing about what got you here is not going to take you further right so you got to keep managing that everything I mean marketing is full of contradictions whether it's yourself or brands so you you've got to keep doing that you know you know and so I, I think I never consciously went out to I mean what does that mean I mean I have, I have a LinkedIn presence but I only post I hardly give any gyan on LinkedIn I only share mm. stuff that I find interesting I comment generally from the heart. I'm myself across all my social media platforms, whether it's LinkedIn or it's Instagram or it's, you know, because it's just, I just feel that, you know, you need to bring your whole self to work. And therefore, you know, even if it's a professional, of course, I'm, I'm careful about, you know, the kind of humor that I might use or some of the anecdotes mm. that I might share. But I, I just, I, so for me, I think, you know, and I keep, you know, you heard me. I mean, I've used the word customer or consumer so many times. So for me, I know yeah. that what I stand for, what I bring to the table for my organization or any team that I work for is the fact that, um, you know, um, I'm, I'm extremely consumer centric. Comes from the fact that I was an army kid, grew up mm. in nine schools. I've lived all across the country. I've lived in other countries as well. So I think I can walk in the shoes of consumers. Mm. Uh, you know, so I, th I think I, I do that. I know that I'm very passionate and I'm very, you know, I, I, and that comes across in my way of speaking. Sometimes I speak very fast as well. Mm. Uh, so that, that, you know, I think that people, sometimes people find that energetic. I know I'm very open to ideas. I love new ideas. I love listening to ideas. I can I can change my mind very easily if I hear, you know, mm. a convincing point of view and interesting idea. So these are some things that I know about myself, which are part of my DNA. They come from my upbringing and which also comes in the choice of the organization that I've worked for. And, you know, I, you know, you always need to choose organizations where cultures match. 
and i think mm. somewhere then that coming back to the consumer need and the brand i think that that develops symbiotically and then you then you just need to be true to yourself and just be you know who you are and then have a strong sense of values and ethics and define your and that's defining your brand right um so i think it it remind it kind of takes me to um you know an interesting point that uh, you speak about you know knowing yourself and ensuring that the organization that you work for is a culture fit i mean having worked with so many organizations and established ones uh, that too what were ways that you kind of identified a culture fit you know because brands are very different from the outside looking in um perhaps uh, what are the kind of factors or parameters you use to gauge whether you are a culture fit yeah i think i would always start so you know i was i was a quizzer when i was in college uh, mm-hmm. i've always loved growing up i used to love i mean we didn't have the kind of access to info but you know i always loved traveling and you know uh, mm-hmm. pop culture so for me that was very important so you know therefore if you see the the companies that i chose to work with all had brands which had a role to play in pop culture so the fact you know when i said when someone told me uh, working in gillette i mean it, i mean i loved the thought of that brand it was so you know synonymous with sport and at that point i mean mm-hmm. or it was the world cup right and then or when pepsi i actually joined the food side of pepsi and there again it was all about uh not there it was not so much about the brands but it was about i saw that there was a young entrepreneurial company which is trying to change the way indian snacked so i think mm. for me brands have always had an aura because i've i've grown up in an era where brands you know stood culture culture they they led culture so mm. uh, I, i love brands and uh, so i've always joined great brand companies and mm. i think that's that, that depends on what appeals to you right i'm mean, there people who love, who love great engineering companies so they could be people you know it de- depends on what rings your bell but for me having storied brands was very important uh, for a for a for a company for, for me and uh, and 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 companies which build storied brands then come back to our earlier conversation invest in them nurture them they mm. are i worked in they are i mean they've built such in a, in a category like beverage alcohol they've built the most purposive purpose driven brands in the world whether it's guinness whether it's johnny walker stand mm. for progress community you know so so again i think i think it comes from so i've loved brand, companies with storied brands i've i've loved companies who try and do different stuff you know not yeah. cookie cutter for um, so unfortunately and i don't know whether they people from unilever and you know png but i uh, templates female mm. feel a little hemmed in i like companies which are entrepreneurial mm. uh, you know meritocracies which would trying to disrupt something or do something different uh, have their own so and then you know in very quickly in the interview process or when you see the job description over you when you research the company you can get to know uh you know whether they pacey whether they, what their style is like like for me i like i like i like speed uh mm. you know at the same time as i said i like companies which are thoughtful i like companies which have a conscience and a sense of values most important mm-hmm. to me and that comes through very quickly when you research the company and even in the interviewing process you can very quickly read whether it's a company that respects uh is, is you know diversity and inclusion and diversity i don't mean by gender but i mean difference in thought mm-hmm. gender of course but but more importantly or you know you very quickly get a sense of the culture of the company and and for me often you know i might even start like diajo i i i had spent 20 years in pepsico and then my last role was heading up narishko as a gm there and then pandemic hit and then we of course sold our stake to the tatas and there i was and then you know when diajo approached me i said a beverage alcohol company at this life stage of mine am i doing the right thing but then i went through seven rounds of interviews and including with ivan menezes who's unfortunately not with us anymore the late ivan menezes and i got such a strong sense of values and inclusion and you know really a company which was doing what it could to mitigate alcohol harm and you know have a very strong code 
Then I said, wow, I mean, you know, this looks like a really interesting company. And I joined it. And of course, for other reasons as well. So I think, I think you very quickly get a sense of it. And, uh, you know, and that's how you choose, right? I mean, you just have to do that due diligence. And sometimes you still get it wrong. You know, mm. you might just join there and find that it's not really <laughs> your cup of tea, in which case, you know, you first, you, 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 you just then have to grit your teeth and see whether you can adapt and maybe, your, you know, your first impressions are, are not the last impressions. But I mean, for, I've been fortunate that that's not happened to me so far. But yeah, I think you brought up a, a point that's not spoken about enough is even just the role that brands play in the cultural landscape, right? Like we often just jump to the job description, the interview and stuff like that. But like, what are the brands doing for, um, you know, the society or the community at large? Um, I think I just noticed the time and I can't believe we're um, almost like out of time. But I, so I can't kind of end this session without, you know, talking a little more about your personal journey and, uh, you know, what your experience has been like as a female business leader in the Alcobev industry, because it's often seen as a very male-dominated space. Um, so what's that experience been like? It's fascinating. So again, as I mentioned, uh, I think it's, I'll tell you, uh, when I, I told you, when I joined Alcobevs, and now I'm, I'm not in the industry anymore, but my five out of the six interviews I asked, everyone who interviewed me to say that, do you have a conscience issue? Do you really, you know, do you feel, mm. uh, is that something that, you know, how do you handle this whole piece that you're actually, you know, it's it's a addictive product, which we know, mm. you know, could have a negative health impact if not consumed in moderation. So how do you, how do you handle that? And I got some really interesting answers, you know, mm. uh, so that itself told me, and, and they were very different people, but, but coming back. And one of the questions was uh, also being a woman, right? Uh, mm. In an industry like this. And uh, what I realized very quickly was uh, that this was an industry and particularly, I think the company I joined, which is Diageo, uh, you know, today Diageo is headed by a woman CEO after Ivan, uh, you know, the global CEO is a woman, the global CFO is a woman, the CEO in India is a woman, uh, the 50% um, uh, of our leadership team were women. So I realized that this was a company which was really trying to walk the talk when it came to, I, I, I told you that, you know, they, they professed mm. DEI as a very important part of who they were and you know that came from the brands that they stood for so very quickly I realized that my god I mean you know while the, the category might be alcoholic beverages but then this clearly is a company with a great culture of inclusion mm. and diversity and not just in terms of ensuring the numbers you know a lot of companies do that oh you know let's hire 50% of new hires should be women or ticking off the box but yeah. actually coaching and training people on inclusive behaviors and acceptable behaviors uh, purpose-driven leadership so it went much beyond just counting the numbers so so I I, th I think I mean Diageo was one of the most diverse and inclusive companies uh, that I that I've ever worked with, uh, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. So and and the other thing is I must say what's great about alcoholic beverages is there's no trying to hide what it is, right? It's not as if you're trying to take a great salty snack or a sugar drink and say it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. it is what it is, you know. You know it's alcohol and you're not allowed to advertise it or market it beyond a point. So you know you're, it's, yeah. it's it's an adult choice. So I quite like that also. <laughs> there was a certain honesty to it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I would say that, you know, I, I really enjoyed that experience. And we were trying to get more and more women into sales, not only not into women, not only into leadership, but also into sales, into frontline, because mm -hmm. we knew that the change, while the change had to come top down, but then mm -hmm. the real challenge was in the culture of the, for example, the liquor wins, you know, which was still mm -hmm. very male dominated and even there or or in the bars and the restaurants. But even there, we started seeing this cultural transformation growing mm -hmm. with, with more and more women and not just women, but I would say also 
you know, people with different orientations, identity, you name it, uh, also coming into the space. So if you ask me, you'd be you'd be quite happy to see that it's actually a pretty progressive industry and companies yeah. like Yajo, to some extent, Pernu are setting the trend. Yeah, I mean, you've been pivotal and also kind of helping facilitate that culture. Um, and on the flip side, you have now joined a company where you are the first um, female CXO. So what's that been like? And what's your experience so far? <laughs> Dude, call it, talk about jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. So that was, <laughs> that was like male consumption driven uh, industry here I'm look at me man I'm sitting in office I'm wearing a Bajaj t-shirt and we oh, work oh, in this wow. refurbished factory actually so you know we are actually yeah. uh, driven by the uh, you know factories act and therefore we need to wear a uniform it's it's fun but here it's basically this company prides itself in being a great engineering company and mm. you know R&D driven product company so not mm. only am I the only woman's <laughs> CXO I'm also the only non-engineer I did history in college believe me or not believe it or not I'm a marketer and then I worked in consumer products never worked in automobile never worked in an engineering company and here I am in this heart of a very hardcore engineering company but I guess the way I what I tell myself is the reason why they hired me Hmm. when this conversations the conversations that I had with Rajiv and with you know Rakesh who's the head of the executive director they were all about you know I guess wanting to leverage me as a change agent not only as a woman of course that was important but also to bring in a different way of thinking and mm. you know we talked about brand centricity customer centricity you know bring in and I think they're looking for change agents like like a lot of companies are so yeah it's been three months it's been fun uh and uh, we'll see how it goes yeah. Yeah. I mean um wishing you all the best just because Thank I you. feel like you know what you spoke about diversity it's not just the gender but also mm -hmm. like the difference in thought that you would bring in uh, perhaps as a non-engineer. Uh, I'm sure Bajaj would, um, you know, like really kind of in benefit from that. Um, so yeah, what a, a interesting switch. I'm sure, um, you know, from Diageo, which kind of, you know, event <laughs> great, like, you know, having a good time, like alcohol brands are associated yeah. with having a good time to like being in uniform in a factory, essentially. No, but you know, it's great to work for an Indian company. I have 30 mm. years, more than 30 years. And I've always worked for multinationals. So mm. good to work for an Indian company where, you know, you are the owner of the brand and, you know, you're not reporting to headquarters in New York or somewhere else. Mm. And, you know, having to, it's your brand, it's your business. And this is a homegrown brand and business, you know. So it's, it's you feel very proud and it's an Indian multinational. So, I'm glad. I mean, it's almost like coming back to roost, roost, you know, and hope in what possibly is going to be the last phase of my career. I'm so glad I'm getting to work on a very proud Indian company. Was that uh, one of the reasons why you made such yeah. a dramatic switch? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, that really appealed to me, the fact that, you know, 50% of their business comes from 90 countries outside India, you know, uh, there's a homegrown company. It's actually, you know, so it's, it's, it's the market leaders when it comes to some of these two wheelers and countries in latin america in some parts of asia africa so really really i mean you know and the, the opportunity to take indian brands and make them global uh giants and of course continue to and of course in the fo focusing on the future of mobility even in india whether it's electric or it's even the three wheelers going electric or cargo going electric so many reasons to actually um actually join this company at this stage yeah i love it i love that uh, you know the journey of going back to the roots um, I think just to, you know, we've spoken about so many things um, and, you know, just from identifying a consum consumer need to 
being part of uh, i mean being the one of the first female cxos at bajaj um the whole gamut we've explored so i think just to kind of close off the session um you know do you have any i'd love for you to maybe kind of you know share a few truths that have stood the test of time and some truths uh, or maybe myths rather that you've had to bust uh, and unlearn yourself um across the industries and across the roles that you occupied yeah i think the truths are you know uh, you know when the, there was a phase in the uh, uh early 2000 late 90s where as i was a little overwhelmed as a marketer i would say not no sorry the late the 2010s right when this whole digital mm. change was coming and and yeah. there two things happening i think post that the 2008 2009 with that big economy uh, recession thing happened global recession happened and you know coming back to the question that somebody asked everyone was getting short term this is like the pre pandemic economic downturn and the role of marketing was being questioned and parallelly you know technology was taking over and marketing was moving the dramatic transition from traditional to mm. digital and i was questioning myself as a marketer and as a cmo in terms of my relevance to the company and 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 relevance to the you know i would say to the world of business and also the relevance of um, uh, as as a, as a traditional marketer you know but i uh, uh, you know so there a lot of lot of uh, insecurities there right and saying god there's mm. so many younger people who are digital natives and you know what am i doing mm. here but very quickly realize that you need a balance of the two right and then i think um, so uh, i realized some of these timeless truths that i said right it's very important to get caught up and you know now i think people are a lot more sorted but they were so excited with this new shiny toy that they were getting caught up with the jargon and the technology and forgetting why we're doing what we're doing <laughs> Yeah. so that's that's the means to an end the the means you know the it's still about having great products and great quality products and differentiated products and consumers at the other end the products may be digital they may be you know brick and mortar whatever they are but still mm-hmm. about getting the two together and solving for a need you know so that doesn't change so i think being that voice of wisdom and uh, perspective that having providing the perspective in a rapidly changing world which is transitioning very quickly was very important having said that i think more and more i'm realizing the power of technology and i used to be a technology phobe but now you know i mean uh, you know i mean i i also i look up chat gpt for the occasional <laughs> question including answering some of the questions for you <laughs> why not you know i mean it's 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 so fascinating to see this you know i mean and, and we yeah. can we can talk about ai and how it's going to transform uh, stuff or you know realizing that the power of digital is that you can be so targeted and you can be so personalized and that n is equal to 1 i can talk to ashna and you know i can understand her affinities and give her talk to her versus you know mask broadcasting to like millions of people so so i think i think not also getting too stuck with that you know this is the way we do things and you know marketing mm-hmm. should be a certain way but to be adaptable is something that i would say uh, while not losing the basic tenets of why we exist which is to as i said keep saying identifying consumer need coming up with great products differentiated products great value propositions and delivering them building brands which are timeless but yet also very timely understanding culture as it evolves mm. the question you asked me about advertising right i mean i've got two sons the 21 and 24 and they they won't they they love brands but they love mm. brands which act and not create ads right so they want mm. or or they would much rather listen to I mean, they don't know how these endorsers or celebrities anymore but they're more likely to listen to a peer who makes a recommendation to them as opposed to maybe a, you know so so i th- i think you know you need to evolve and therefore you need to you need to do both not lo- not lose the core of what you are or what your function stands for but evolve to keep up, keep up with the times and changing consumer needs and industries yeah i think you wrapped it up so well um devaga thank you so much for an 
incredible uh, one hour i feel like this was my crash course to marketing um <laughs> you know like it's a good lens that i can uh, um you know keep in mind as we you know continue to curate and facilitate experiences for our members i mean you're just reminding me of how much we also market what our brand is uh, regardless of what role uh, we occupy but um, yeah thank you so much for being here thank you ashna thank you for being such an active listener and you know you were able to i'm like i can talk you know talk <laughs> your ears or but you were able to pull out all the key themes and i just wanted to thank everyone who's joined the session man it's so late in the evening mm-hmm. thank you for taking time out from your evening uh, routine to spend some time